On today's episode, an injury update into patellofemoral pain. Welcome to the Run Smarter podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I am a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. Welcome back, Run Smarter Scholars. Um, the Run Smarter audiobook is not out just yet. It is out or approved on a few smaller websites here and there, but not on Audible yet. Said it'll take 20 to 30 days. So we'll keep you posted when that does get approved, and then I'll put it out onto social media that it's it's essentially out everywhere once Audible approves it. <laughs> I'm just being patient, so we'll wait and see. If you're familiar with um, the episode two weeks ago, about the injury update. I hadn't done an injury specific episode on these sort of conditions for a while. And so I thought I would do a refresher episode and kind of um, refresh all the past episodes I've done on this condition, as well as a few new tips, new sort of takeaways. And so last time I did proximal hamstring tendinopathy, then we did a, an interview with Claire Bartholic, hopefully you enjoyed that. We talked about strides and I received a lot of positive feedback on that one. So thanks for all of your feedback. Next week, we have um, Change Your Diet to Change Your Pain with Rowena Field, um, episode 250, which is a good milestone. And um, yeah, we talk about diets and how it influences your pain. Very, very interesting. Loved talking to Rowena. So hopefully you enjoy. But Today, we're going to talk about patellofemoral pain. Um, to start us off with, like the characteristics of patellofemoral pain is essentially pain around the kneecap, the most common running-related condition, and uh, often quite hard to pinpoint or localize. People with patellofemoral pain often sort of brush their finger like around the borders of the kneecap, can sometimes be at the top, the bottom, inside, outside, and almost feel sometimes underneath the kneecap and usually elicited by things like running, squatting, going up and down stairs, those sort of movements that just compress the patellofemoral joint, which is essentially the joint that is your kneecap, your floating kneecap into its groove. And so that's, I guess, kind of what it is. And it is diagnosed essentially like that. It needs to have pain around the borders or underneath the kneecap and have pain elicited with things like either one of lunging, squatting or running or jumping. Um, that is how we sort of medically diagnose and define patellofemoral pain. 
So the past episodes that I have done on it, I think it was around episode um, in the high 20s, maybe 29, the episode around, um, I had a chat with the guys from the podcast that's running. I think that podcast is no longer recording new episodes, but my episode was called All Things Runner's Knee with the boys from That's Running Podcast. And so what we discussed in there was just the useful tips, misconceptions, treatment techniques. Uh, We all just sort of collaborated and shared our thoughts on this condition. And so we started off by um, highlighting to our audiences the caution with using threatening language, especially when it comes to this condition. You may or may not have heard that your patellofemoral pain is caused by maltracking, like the kneecap isn't positioned correctly or it's tilted in a different position caused by a tightness in the ITB or a weakness somewhere and it's pulling the kneecap into a different position or outside of its groove or the groove itself is too shallow and that's causing your knee pain. And the power of language is really important when it comes to these particular diagnoses, which I'll talk about a little bit later. But not only does it cause this threatening language and hinders someone's recovery, it's also untrue. There's a lot of research currently out there that says that patellofemoral pain is just in reality caused by an overload of the joint. Like anything else, like any other running-related injury, it has exceeded its capacity Hence, why when you run, increase your mileage too much or increase your heels or your stairs or your squats. If it exceeds the capacity, that joint starts getting sore. So we can remove all of that unhelpful and inaccurate threatening language in order to calm down the mind, reassure ourselves that doing these movements is safe and necessary for rehab and we can just continue moving forward with that sort of reassurance. So we talk about that in the podcast to start with. We then talk about the um, use of foam rolling and ITB stretches um, and how they may be effective, but they also might be ineffective. You have to just, I guess, tailor it or just trial it and see if it works for you. Our conversation then turned to technique, like running technique, And the fellas mentioned that a slow or low cadence overstriding and heel striking do increase knee loads and mentioned that these particular traits do need to be combined with a training error that would then eventually lead to patellofemoral pain. Because theoretically, you can have a low cadence and you might overstride, but if you train within those loads really sensibly, like if you run 5K three times a week and that's all you do without any increase in demands, then you can get away with it. But it's usually any increase if there is that abrupt change. It's, it would be the kneecap that is exposed to high amounts and the likelihood of exceeding the patellofemoral joint would be quite common. So a low cadence, an overstride or a heel strike, those particular traits and Then we move our discussion to treatment and we discuss that, I guess, first and foremost, what you need to do is identify the reason behind the injury in the first place. It might be a change in mileage, it might be a change in hills, or it might be or might require a change in technique. If someone's constantly getting patellofemoral pain 
and we look at their cadence and it's below 160, maybe that's something that needs to be bumped up. So identifying the main reason and also identifying any irritable movements. So once it's irritated, maybe something outside of running, say squats, lunges, stairs, uh, those sorts of things, or within running, maybe it's only heels that irritate. Identify those irritable factors, and then we need to modify those factors in order to get the symptoms to settle down. So identify the main reason, then identify any irritable movements and make sensible modifications. Still on the lines of treatment, we talked about taping. Said like similar to ITV stretching, it can be great for some people, um, particularly taping. Taping can be really, really effective for patellofemoral pain. And it depends. It, it does, you do need to test and retest. It might be a squat technique where a squat is painful, tape them up, see if that squat is not so painful. And if there is a significant difference, then maybe that's something that's a part of your short-term rehab. Um, I said uh, quad stretches. When I've had patellofemoral pain in the past, quad stretches have really helped me. But then I give quad stretches to someone else with patellofemoral pain. They don't necessarily like it. There is really robust research around strengthening. So strengthening your quads, strengthening your hips. Um, we used examples. Uh, Pat gave an example of lateral toe taps, which I've never heard of before. But it was essentially having a band around your knees and then doing like a, a hinge or like almost like a squat, but you're doing kind of like a deadlift action. So prioritizing like the glutes and um, getting your foot to tap out and back. So you're almost just staying balanced on one foot as the other foot taps out to the side and then back to that starting point. And you're just tapping in and out, in and out softly and slowly. You're just activating the quads and the glutes that way. I added in wall sits, crab walks, and step-ups is my kind of preferred exercises to do, as well as squats. Um, you want to build up the quad strength and the glutes as much as possible, so squats are good once they can be tolerated. And just, I guess, continued with the theme that strengthening the quads and the glutes is very good. There's a lot of, um, like I said, a lot of research to back that. Um, and then we talked about reintroducing running and just to be careful with things like hills and stairs and how you would just slowly introduce those or remove them to continue running and manage patellofemoral pain at a safer in a safer zone but when you do need to introduce them you need to be very careful with those particular variables um all of the other just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know i have just updated my five-day injury prevention challenge this is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. Principles we sort of talked about just kind of highlight the general theme of, I guess, the podcast and we talked about pain guidelines, so less than a four out of 10 during the run returns to baseline quite quickly. Uh, the pain, rest, weakness, downward spiral. Like I said, these are universal principles that we have in the first 10 episodes of the podcast, so I won't repeat those here. We also mentioned that it's it's very hard to, I guess, talk about and predict timeframes for recovery. We can be very generic and talk, you know, two to four weeks. And most people overcome patellofemoral pain quite quickly once they, un once they find the right management. But 
you know, you can mismanage this injury for a very long time and still be sore. And so it's very hard to, I guess, predict. We sort of came to that conclusion. In regards to gait retraining, um, increasing cadence if needed uh, without increasing speed. So trying to make sure, I mentioned on that podcast, treadmill running can be quite helpful because you can work on increasing your cadence, but the speed stay relatively consistent. And then Pat talked about footwear, saying that sometimes bigger, heavier, cushioned shoes can actually um, allow someone to get away with certain inefficient traits, such as overstriding or a low cadence, which do generate high loads through the knees, but people can kind of run with those traits and tolerate those traits because they have a bigger, bulkier shoe. So footwear was briefly mentioned, so I thought I'd add that here. The next episode that talked about general principles of patellofemoral pain was what Brody has learned from patellofemoral pain, the episode that I did talking about my history with this particular injury and highlighting a few um, thoughts and revelations that I had. And the first thing that I talked about was making sure you're paying attention to your strengthening exercises and making sure you're not just doing double leg workouts because that can hide a lot of deficits from right to left. If you have some strength deficits or some balance or power deficits, you won't know it to be true until you start doing single leg work and work out the differences between the two. And things like squats, things like just like double leg jumping, like box jumps, those sorts of things, um, you could have a, a deficit going on and not even know. Um, single leg exercises, I used an example of single leg squats. Even more recently, I did a, a post on single leg sit to stand. So if you're sitting in a chair with your knee bent at 90 degrees and you lift one leg up in the air so that... Um, only one foot's on the ground, and then you stand up from that position and see how many you can do, and then do the same on the other side. A lot of people have said, wow, I had no idea I, I was able to do 12 on one side and only six on the other. And like I say, you won't know if you just only do double leg workouts. Hopping is another one. You can hop 15 times on one side, hop 15 times on the other side, and look at the strength, look at the balance, look at the uh, rigidity, seeing how stable you are, how much power you can generate. Those sorts of things can help illuminate some of these deficits. So looking for imbalance, looking for strength, power, stiffness sort of deficits can be a good lesson to have. And if there are deficits, trying to implement something to strengthen those weak links to make sure that this patellofemoral pain doesn't arise in the first place, or if you do have it, making sure you're working on those weak links to reduce the risk of a flare-up or reduce the risk of uh, another incident down the track. I also mentioned in that episode things like stretching, foam rolling, manual therapy, and orthotics are just used a bit less often, less effective, which I've sort of already talked about in this podcast already. Um, I did mention that orthotics are hit and miss which and are trial and error sort of things, so I won't repeat that again. Speaking of weak links, I did bring this up on that episode um, in regards to the overall condition and making sure that if you've had these sort of injuries in the past, if there is, say, a, a spike in load in the future, let's just say I have patellofemoral pain, I've had a history of it, now it's all better, but I've now had a current 
training load or training error, increase in training load. The odds of a patellofemoral pain symptom coming back is quite high because I've had a history of that particular condition in the past. So it should be imperative and in the forefront of your mind to strengthen that particular weak link. Say, all right, I've had, this goes for any condition, shin splints, um, proximal hamstring tendinopathy, calf strains, identify your weak links and don't just rehab it so that it's just better enough to return to pain-free running and then away you go. Recognize it as a weak link, be proactive, build resilience, tackle it head on and make sure that the capacity of that structure, whatever it is, becomes super, super high. So it's going to be really hard to exceed it in your weekly mileage and your general running. Most people just rehab a particular injury until it gets to a, you know the bare minimum to return to running and then that's what they do. So then whenever there's a wobble in their training loads in the future, that's the first injury that pops up. So recognize that weak link, especially if you had a history of that same condition over and over again. Recognize it, come up with a particular strategy, implement something to build up that strength, build that overall resilience, and then that's going to be the strategy you have moving forward for like real resilience, reducing that risk of a flare-up, reducing that risk of that injury coming back as much as possible. One more, not necessarily patellofemoral pain specific episode, but one podcast episode that I have done in the past was titled Catastrophizing and Kinesiophobia Hindering Your Recovery. And catastrophizing is a term that, particularly if injured, someone who's focused on negative outcomes that are way too over the top. And we all know these types. And sometimes you might be in this mindset, but it's only just fleeting. Um, the The primary mindset, if you have, say, patellofemoral pain is, oh my God, am I going to have this forever? Is it going to be painful walking? Am I going to be able to work and sit and stand and drive with this particular condition? Is it going to affect my career? Is it going to affect my income? Is it going to affect my family? What about if I'm unable to run and prepare for this race? And they're just you know, catastrophizing. So that's one. Kinesiophobia is the fear of movement. It's sort of like separating the two. Phobia, fear of, kinesio, just meaning movement. And it's not having pain with movement. It's the fear of, if I move this, there will be pain. So the pain hasn't happened yet. It's the fear that you're attributing to it of a future movement. And these two things I talk about in the podcast on a previous episode about how detrimental it can be towards your recovery. There were studies that I shared that showed that those who rank high in these two things, if they do, if you have a, let's just say you have a hundred people with patellofemoral pain and you uh, do a questionnaire before their recovery, before their treatment, those who rank quite high on catastrophization and kinesiophobia take longer to recover than those who are ranked lower on those questionnaires. No matter what this, the pain severity, no matter how severe the injury is, those two will dictate how long it takes to recover. On the other side of that, those who feel like they're ranking highly on those particular traits and then implement an intervention to help them with that. So if it comes to catastrophizing, maybe it's doing some 
calming strategies. Maybe it's doing some um, breath work or meditation or mindfulness to help calm down those negative thoughts and that negative loop. Maybe it's appreciation or positive thinking, those sorts of things. If you implement that, that can enhance your recovery. When it comes to kinesiophobia, especially when it comes to patellofemoral pain, the fear of movement when you have, it might be a piercing, um, alarming sort of symptom coming around your knee, you, the likelihood of you having the fear of movement, particularly if you've had it for a long period of time, that can be quite common. You can have a fear of movement and the level of severity might change here and there, but the, the papers that I did mention in that past podcast episode was related to patellofemoral pain just because it is quite common. It's quite common to have the two. And this can be settled. I guess the intervention can be a lot of reassurance, a lot of reassurance that, yes, you might have a little bit of pain, but it's okay. A bit of reassurance about it's not maltracking of your knee or um, misposition or tilting or tugging on the kneecap itself. It's actually quite safe to do these sort of movements. And so implementing some interventions to help address catastrophizing kinesiophobia could be really helpful for your recovery. So I thought I'd mention that here as well. Okay, into the new content that I have kind of written down. And I have a couple of points, uh, five here that I want to include. And already this episode jam-packed full of treatment, management, understanding of patellofemoral pain. So hopefully you find it valuable taking all the past content that I've done or the past podcast episodes at least and sort of condensing it into a jam-packed sort of episode. And then, yeah, hopefully you're enjoying this. The first one that I want to talk about is what you might come across as VMO um, advice about patellofemoral pain, because this is still out there. And alongside the maltracking information that you'll find and how that was once believed to be true, now it's with emerging evidence found not so true. This VMO exercises are um, stand for the vastus medialis oblique, and it's essentially the part of your quad muscle that's the inner, closest to the knee, sort of the inside bulge muscle, which attaches onto the inside of your kneecap. And it was once believed that because of the malalignment, this VMO, this little pieces of the muscle, the little fibers of the muscle, actually control the position of the knee. Especially if it's too weak, it will drift out towards the outside and if you strengthen it up, it will realign back into the middle position. We now know that just strengthening up the entire quad is the most effective. That's it's why it's how you get better. And a lot of people used to have this treatment bias and physios, myself included, used to have this, I guess, placebo because when we assigned VMO exercises, it was essentially contract this muscle. And what you do is you essentially contract the whole entire quad and the patient would get better and we'd say, oh, that's because you've strengthened your VMO. But really it's just because you've strengthened the whole entire quad along with other interventions that might've been at play. Maybe we reduced the running mileage. Maybe we gave other strengthening exercises as well. And, you know, maybe some um, manual therapy, which made someone feel better and the effects of all those things just made someone feel better but sort of confirmed our assumption that VMO strengthening helped. 
now we know that if you compare VMO strengthening to overall quad strengthening, it's exactly the same. And if you do spend too much time just isolating those little muscles, you're doing yourself a disservice because you're not progressing at the same rate as you probably should. So if you read or if you are suggested or um, if a therapist sort of talks about a VMO, that's exactly what it is. And at least you know now that there'd be more effectiveness if we move our attention away from VMO and more towards the entire quad, which would be things like squats, wall sits, uh, wall squats, single leg squats, um, alongside glute strengthening. So crab walks and those sorts of things. Um, just keep that in mind. The next thing we haven't talked about yet is uh, increasing your running frequency with keeping your mileage consistent. And this is for runners who do have patellofemoral pain, who are still running and managing acceptable levels of pain and who are running, say, two to four times per week. There's some good evidence that increasing the frequency, so go from three runs per week to five runs per week, but keep the mileage consistent. So we're spreading more mileage into more days. We'll just help the patellofemoral pain just tolerate a bit more of that weekly load. And this was done really well in a paper that I've mentioned on the podcast before by J.F. Escoulier, took 69 runners with patellofemoral pain, assigned them to one of three groups. One was the education-only group. The second one was received the same amount of education but gave gait retraining, so mainly talking about increasing their cadence. And the third group, again, received the same education but focused also on strengthening. And they needed to have patellofemoral pain for more than three months to be included in this trial. So we know that you know the spontaneous healing won't be that effective and found that all groups, all three groups got better, significantly better at the same rate. And so it begs the question, how effective was this education? And a lot of this education was fits the same principles as the, the run smarter podcast, talking about pain levels, talking about, you know, keeping pain under a four out of 10, um, Reducing speed work and hills was something that was also within that education bundle. But they also were advised to spread their weekly mileage into more days. So increasing that frequency. And so we found that particular, or this paper found at least, this education was extremely effective at reducing and helping people recover from patellofemoral pain. So we had VMO then we had increased frequency. The next one I want to talk about was how to, I guess, reintroduce things like speed work, hills, stairs, if stair running is your thing. Um, because while you're managing patellofemoral pain, I've mentioned it several times already, that backing off the speed work, backing off the hills is good just to help your knee manage running loads or tolerate running loads. But how do we introduce them if once things have settled down, how do we introduce these sort of things once the body's feeling ready? Well, you can introduce speed with what I mentioned with Claire Bartholic last week was introducing strides. That can be quite helpful for just introducing speed workouts. Once you can tolerate a couple of weeks of strides, then maybe look at intervals. Maybe we look at longer intervals of 
you know, 30 seconds of running at a, a speed, then backing off to two minutes of jogging and then doing four or five repeats of that. There's no right or wrong, but it does need to be quite systematic. For hills, I would say you pick a consistent hill. And when I say consistent, I mean just do the, the same hill because it'll have the same gradient, it'll have the same um, the length of the hill, and you can just see how the knee responds to that. So if it's 300 meters long, you do that hill maybe once or twice, see how the knee feels, and then later in the week, once you've known that you can tolerate that particular run, then you do it two to three times. It's all about testing, retesting, but making sure it's consistent, making sure it's progressed in a systematic way and accurately interpreting your symptoms afterwards. Again, back to the universal principles of the podcast. What are symptoms like during, afterwards, the next day, making sure they're all within acceptable limits before you move to the next sensible progression. Another thing we haven't talked about yet is cross-training options. So for someone who maybe has to significantly reduce or cease their running, it's good to have some sort of cardiovascular alternative to maintain your fitness levels, maintain sort of your enjoyment levels, making the the rehab progress more bearable, I guess, (laughs) and making sure that we're adding something in that doesn't irritate the knee too much. And something that might require a bit of trial and error would be like jump rope and um, cycling and rowing, I guess, those machines. Because I guess if it's a range of movement thing, uh, skipping or jump rope should be okay because you're not going through a large range of movement. You're going through a fair bit of force, but the range of movement, you're not bending your knee quite a lot when you're jumping up and down um, and trying to be as rigid as you as possible. Compare that to, say, box jumps where you are jumping, but it is going through a large range of movement. That would be a lot more load, theoretically, through the knee. But you let symptoms be your guide. Because I've seen cyclists, or I've seen people use cycling as a cross-training option, as well as the rowing machine, and theoretically, it would be a lot of load through the knee, but they've managed to tolerate it. They can't run 30 minutes, but they can tolerate 20 minutes on the bike. And they just use symptoms. Like I say, you let symptoms be your guide. But what I'll say is with skipping or jump rope, um, cycling and the rowing machine, that is trial and error. Might be okay, might not be okay. Just see how you go. If that's something you want to do, if you do enjoy the rowing machine or if you do enjoy cycling, if you don't enjoy it and decide to give it a go, then maybe it's not worth giving a go. Maybe some other things are worth it. The elliptical trainer is a lot better. Swimming is a lot better. A lot of um, good cardiovascular fitness required for swimming that doesn't put a lot of load on the knee. Um, the other option is you can just do your own little hit workouts just to get the heart rate up and the blood pumping and that sort of stuff. But just find some components in a particular circuit. Make your own circuit that doesn't irritate the knee. So you can do push-ups, you can do tricep dips, you can do deadlifts, you can do push presses, um, ab sort of crunches, planks, anything that's you know, getting your heart rate up and is sort of that high interval intensity kind of workouts could make you feel better could make you feel like could maintain a lot of that fitness but just doesn't irritate the knee that could be a good option 
until the knee symptoms settle down. And then you can slowly start building that running mileage back up. And lastly, uh, as we wrap up, it's probably good timing because I'm starting to lose my voice. (laughs) I've had a lot of calls this morning and have done a lot of talking. But the last thing that I wanted to mention was sometimes, particularly with this condition, the acceptable guidelines, the acceptable pain levels um, usually are during the run less than a four out of 10. So a zero, one, two, three during the run is what we deem acceptable, provided that it settles down very quickly afterwards and returns to baseline the next day. I will say for some people, and this has just been in my experience treating a lot of people with patellofemoral pain, sometimes we might need to dial that back yet again. If we try that, if we try these those initial pain rules and week by week we're not seeing an improvement, we might need to dial that down to less than a three out of 10. So a zero, a one, a two are those that are acceptable and needs to return very quickly back to baseline. So then I would say probably less than 12 hours is when it needs to return back to baseline. I'm not entirely sure why. I think that this particular condition, um, some people just have a very a higher level of irritability. And it's not for every, it's not everyone. It's just once we go through a couple of weeks of working together and we notice that there's not an improvement week by week, that's the, the sign that we might need to readjust or rethink these goals. And that might be the runner themselves, um, I guess, not misinterpreting, but just having a different pain scale than other runners, even though, you know, when we start working together, I try and assign some characteristics to that pain level, but maybe someone's perception of pain is a little bit different. And so we need to scale that back or whether the injury itself is just that little bit more irritable um, or, you know, a little bit more sensitive and therefore we need to reconsider these pain guidelines. So this would obviously um, fall within the realms of other running related injuries, but it's just something that I've seen in patellofemoral pain over the past several years of working with, you know, so many sore knees that I thought it was relevant to include in this particular episode. So just in terms of refreshing with that new content, so the VMO guidance um, revealing some of those misconceptions, increasing the running frequency, um, introducing your speed, hills, one variable at a time and very gradual and systematic. Cross-training options, the maybes are your, your jump rope, your cycling and your rowing machine. And the ones that you can easily do would be the elliptical swimming and whatever customized hit circuit class you want to do. And then maybe the possibility of modifying those acceptable pain levels if you're not seeing an improvement week by week. But if you're not seeing improvement week by week, we also need to make sure that all the other elements are covered. So your rehab's in a good spot, your strength training's in a good spot, your cross training's in a good spot, and all those other factors. So hope you enjoyed. Like I said, it's quite a jam-packed episode, and I think these injury update episodes will be the same as such for you know, the next three episodes that I do, because I am planning to do ITB syndrome, Achilles tendon and calf and shin splints. So I hope you are enjoying. I'll probably do interview style episodes in between all of those. So we've got probably the next six weeks or so scheduled out. 
good luck with your running and I guess your rehab if you are injured um, over the next week. And remember, every new insight brings you one step closer to your next running breakthrough. And that concludes another Run Smarter lesson. I hope you walk away from this episode feeling empowered and proud to be a Run Smarter scholar. Because when I think of runners like you who are listening, I think of runners who recognize the power of knowledge, who don't just learn, but implement these lessons, who are done with repeating the same injury cycle over and over again, who want to take an educated, active role in their rehab, who are looking for evidence-based long-term solutions and will not accept problematic quick fixes. And last but not least, who serve a cause bigger than themselves and pass on the right information to other runners who need it. I look forward to bringing you another episode and helping you on your Run Smarter path.